Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Wild Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm great. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Here we are in the middle of the holiday season, holiday week. We are. It, as Bo reminded me this morning, it is the second day of Christmas today. That's right. That's right. We were we were talking about what happened. On we're talking days. about two turtle doves today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is a fun episode. This is a party episode. We've been waiting for it. To be honest, the wine for this episode was chosen weeks ago. It was. <laughs> and it has been in our downstairs refrigerator just waiting. I could not be more excited to for a reason to drink this, to open this. This is like to top the year off for us. This is a true celebration. I'm glad you get to share it with us. Well, let's get into it. What are we drinking tonight? We are drinking champagne. We are drinking the Clos Casal 2010 Blanc de Blanc Extra Brut Champagne. And this is from the village of Auger in the Cote de Blanc. Wow. Deliciousness. Not every day you drink champagne. Not every day you get to drink vintage champagne from a really small, fantastic producer. This is delicious. So we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate making it to the end of 2021. I'm very interested in this New Year's Eve because there is, for those of you who are alive and following the news, (laughs) there is a new strain of COVID. And I'm just curious to see how people behave during New Year's Eve. I'm interested to see if people are going to... You and I were in the airport last week. We're okay. We pushed through with our plans. But I'm interested to know if people are going to go out, people are going to stay home. Regardless of what you're doing, I think you should treat yourself to a great bottle of champagne. That's right. I think no matter if you're seeing friends in person or talking on the phone, if you're with your roommate or your kiddos or at a party. There is a reason to have bubbly. There is a celebration to be had because we are finishing out this year, starting a new year. It is always feels good to have a fresh start, to have something end and something begin is just satisfying. I would have a great bottle of champagne if I was by myself Absolutely. for this year in particular. So we're getting to vintage champagne. We're going to talk about what that means, talk about this house, talk a little bit about why we drink champagne over New Year's. Lots to talk about, but here we are just past Christmas. Catherine and I, as we mentioned, took a little trip back to Catherine's native state. Say where you grew up. Yeah, my parents' house, like where I spent my childhood. Yeah, we did sleep in your childhood bed. Well, it wasn't my childhood bed, but <laughs> okay. it was only slightly <laughs> larger than my childhood bed. Let's just say we haven't been back to Boulder in three and a half years. And the last time we went, we had one child. Now we have three children. So my parents so graciously opened their home to us and said, we will sleep at our neighbor's house and you guys take over our house, which was so generous of them and worked out fantastically because we just landed like a giant bomb there and exploded and including, you know, kids getting sick in the bed and (laughs) everything you could imagine. But it was fabulous. Having not been home in a really long time, it was just wonderful and so great for the kids to see their grandparents and 
I'm glad that we got to do it despite this whole craziness that's going on right now. It was super special for us. Nice your parents to keep your new kids on the block sheets. Fun to sleep in those. Oh my gosh. Well, the funniest thing about the bed is just that it's, first of all, it's not even a full size bed, people. It's not a twin. It's like slightly larger than a twin. And there's a twin plus. It's like a twin plus. And there's a footrest and a headrest. And Tug's feet stick through the footrest, like the bars. It's like a jail cell or something. (laughs) And and the only reason we're not sleeping in my parents' king bed in their bed is because that's the only room where our <laughs> kids were comfortable, where they would sleep. So we put the two kids in the king and we sleep in the tiny bed. And then the baby is happy by himself in his own We tried. We tried to sleep. We started in your parents' king size bed. Yeah. But my, our, our, as we've mentioned before many times on this show, the kids' helicopter... They're smacking themselves and the, uh, each other in the face in this twin plus. So that lasted for about literally about four hours. I didn't make it full night. Yeah, four hours. Mm-hmm. Great trip, though. We did think about this in advance. We wanted to travel on the early side of the holiday because in the event one of us did contract COVID, we would have multiple days to quarantine. Yeah, and the before. kids could quarantine before school started. Yeah. And so. which we are happy to do we're doing but i know how much going back to colorado meant to you it was fun our kids are from southern california they'd never really seen snow it was 60 degrees every day in boulder but we did go to eldora to see some man-made snow yes we went up to netherland we went to eldora the kids got to go sledding drink hot chocolate have the whole little mountain winter mountain experience which was really special and i think it primed them for skiing for next time so they'll be ready to go yeah, and so this is this is uh, breaking news. I didn't give Catherine her full gift yesterday, and I wanted to say on the air that I'm giving you, the boys, the three boys and myself, are giving you an all-expenses-paid trip to anywhere in the United States that ends in Denver Airport. <laughs> <gasps> so, are you really? Yeah. Oh, that's a wonderful gift. I know how much you wanted to take your kids skiing and we didn't have that chance. So there's part two of the Christmas gift. And I wanted to share that with all the, the listeners. Thank you so much. And I already have the dates picked out and I'm ready to book it. <laughs> okay, let's book it on the air. We're going to do it live. We're gonna, everyone sit tight while we scroll through the different options. Um, so anyway. Thank you. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. So yeah, I had a blast. It was great to see your family. Great to see your brother, your brother's partner, Uli. Going home is probably a different experience for every person on this earth but for me this time was just like so full of happiness after having been through the last two years to just go home to your hometown and your parents is just uh, so good I, I visibly could see you lighter happier I would ask I would ask you constantly checking in knowing the answer like you're happy right now and you'd be like I'm so happy I'm so so happy <laughs> it's true so that was a lot of fun but now we're back Back in the throws. It really is the throws here, people. There is uh, a toy about every 20 Places inches. And, but we've got the Christmas tree lights on and it's festive in here. And, you know, our kids are just, they're having a lot of fun. And its it does feel, despite what's happening in the world, our little tiny family bubble is good. So we're taping this the day after Christmas where our kids are already bored from the toys we bought for them the day before they're strewn about the floor here and so no better option possibility 
reason to have a bottle of fantastic champagne than while you're dealing with your kids for a week with no school and nowhere to go. So let's talk about it right now. Oh my God. I just had another sip. It's so good. Oh my goodness. So let's remind everyone one more time of the champagne we're drinking tonight. Let's talk about it. Let's just get into champagne and celebrate the year of 2021. So this is the Casal, Clo Casal, Vintage 2010 Blanc de Blanc Extra Brut Champagne Grand Cru Auger. Can you spell Casal for everyone? C-A-Z-A-L-S. Thank you. And uh, that's kind of a different name. It is the last name of the family that started the domain. And the gentleman was Ernest or Ernst Casal who started this. He was actually Catalan. He was from Spain originally. He was he lived in Lan- Languedoc-Roussillon, so in southwest France, and he was a barrel maker. And he made a trip to Champagne to deliver some barrels. He liked it so much, stayed and started his own house. The story gets even richer and goes on and on, but I just think that that, that helps explain the name. Casal was a little bit different. And now they're in the fourth generation, run by a woman now, Delphine. She's the daughter of Claude, uh, the son of Olivier, the son of Ernst or Ernest. And it's a really, really special, small little uh, winery. They only have about nine hectares of their whole estate of the Maison Casal estate, all in the Côte de Blanc. So there are different five different regions in Champagne. The Côte de Blanc, you can always remember it, Blanc. What's the white grape? Mostly in Champagne, Chardonnay. The Côte de Blanc is all about Chardonnay, and they're in the Côte de Blanc. And the winery is the started in Les Maisons. Les Maisonnilles sur Auger, but this specific wine, the Clos Casal, comes from a Clos, and a Clos is a vineyard that's surrounded by a little wall. And there are lots of Clos in Burgundy, but not too many in Champagne, only 21. This is a really special Clos that's in Auger, the village of Auger in the Côte de Blanc. Côte de Blanc is also all about the chalk. I mean, champagne in general is about chalk, chalky soils, but Cote de Blanc especially. And there are lots of hills. On the top of the hills is forest. Bottom of the hills is kind of flat. And in the middle is the best portion where the best vineyards are. It's kind of the same in Burgundy. And there's so much chalk that it's not unusual to walk through a vineyard and find pieces of chalk. In Champagne, unlike some other regions, it's whole villages that are classified, either Grand Cru, Premier Cru, or not classified at all. And Auger is classified as Grand Cru. And this little clos is in Auger, and it's only 3.7 hectares, a tiny clos, walled vineyard. Really old vines, average 65-year-old vines. And the story is really kind of neat. So as I said, Ernest, or Ernst, moved to Champagne, started his winery. And then in the 50s, his son Olivier bought a house for his son Claude, or Claude, in Auger. And this house had a walled vineyard in the back. But it wasn't a vineyard. It was just a walled garden. It was a nine-acre walled garden. So they thought this walled garden would be a great place to grow vines. So over the next 40 years, they were planting vines, Olivier and Claude. And 
then they started to make wine there. And Delphine, who's now running the operation, noticed that actually the vines there ripened a full gram of sugar more than any of their other vines. And she said, you know what, we should make one wine that is just from this walled vineyard. It's really, really special. And so they did, and they do, and they make this vintage champagne. And this is 2010. The cool thing about this house that they bought, this is actually, it was the house of Leon Bourgeois, who was the founder of the United Nations and Nobel Peace Prize winner. They bought the house from him, which is kind of funny. So he had the walled garden. Then they turned it into a vineyard, and now it makes this amazing wine. So it's kind of a cool story. Also, Claude, who is Delphine's father, he invented the gyropellet in 1969. So if you know anything about champagne or sparkling wine, it is a really involved process where the first fermentation you make a still wine. And then the second fermentation is the still wine plus a little bit of yeast and sugar and under cap, second fermentation takes place. And the wine sits in the bottle, on the lees, on the dead yeast cells. But then we have to get the dead yeast out when it's time to disgorge. And often this is done, historically this was done, through a process called riddling where a person would actually turn the bottles. Took days, took so much time and a lot of manpower. But in 1969, Claude invented a piece of equipment that could do the same thing, I think in, I don't know, a day, 24 hours, 48 hours, not too much time. So this is kind of a historic family. They are also practicing organic, practicing biodynamic, especially inside this little walled vineyard. And I think this wine is pretty fantastic. As I said, all Chardonnay and just really, really elegant, refined. Can I ask you a question about vintage champagnes? I'm sure it may vary house from house to house, but does a house have a vintage champagne from every year? Or is it like every couple of years? How do, how do houses determine what's going to be vintage for them? The whole idea of the vintage champagne is that it's made in the best years when the grapes receive optimal ripeness and you could make a wine that can stand on its own and doesn't need to be blended. Champagne is really far north. It's quite cold. It's getting warmer every year thanks to global warming, but it's it historically it's been very cold and so just getting grapes to the point of ripeness is a really big deal. That's why historically the the idea is blended vintages to get a house style, to get a wine that feels like yes from a place but mostly about the house, mostly about the style. But when you have a year where all the grapes are ripening really well, you can make a vintage champagne. Usually, I don't know, sometimes it's back-to-back years, but very rarely. And vintage champagnes need to sit and age longer. They rest longer on the lees. Do you find that the grapes that become vintage wines are the same year for most houses? Because that's the quality of the grapes being good. Like 2010 a common year for vintage champagnes? Or does one house have 2012 because that was a particularly good year for them? Do you notice that at all? Well, it kind of depends. But yeah, generally it's 
people are making vintage champagnes in the best years. You know, people know which are the best years. And there's certain organizations that sort of classify that as well. That's interesting. And you mentioned some words. We talked about this last episode. I didn't even say this. I always say this. I pride myself on some habitual. Habitual. That's that's a new word. I, I sort of liked it. Malapropism right there for you all. Ritual and habitual. I like that. Habitual. <laughs> I love it. We're having a party. This is episode 77 of The Long Finish. So we talk about some words like disgorgement, lees, riddling. These are words we talked about in previous episodes. Some we've talked about in the last episode, which was episode 76. But you can go back to episode 1, episode 12, episode 49, episode 50 of the podcast to um, re-familiarize with yourself with some of the terms that we're talking about in the episode tonight. What else you got on this champagne? So as I was looking up, information about the Cote de Blancs, trying to understand, you know, more about these individual villages. It was so interesting to me to kind of go in depth because I sort of gloss over it and and I often focus on the producer. But this region has 11 villages. Auger is Grand Cru. And Auger is really known for being floral and very, very upfront, which I totally notice in this champagne. I think it's a really classic version of Auger based on the research that I've been reading. And speaking of the research, let me just say to you, another reason I was really excited to do this episode tonight, not just to open this bottle of champagne, but also to crack open one of my new Christmas gifts, which is this amazing book on champagne called Champagne, the Essential Guide to the Wine Producers and Terroirs of the Iconic Region by Peter Liam. And Peter Liam is one of the leading experts on champagne. He writes champagneguide.net, which is a fantastic online resource. And then he also created this book, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, a couple of years ago. And I've been wanting it ever since. But it's an absolutely gorgeous book going into the different regions of Champagne, the history of Champagne. It also includes vintage, well, copies of vintage maps from the 1940s that he used to understand the terroirs. Um, And these maps are just beautiful. But if you are curious about Champagne, I highly recommend this book. And if not, just go to champagneguide.net and get a little more. But I've always been a fan of the Cote Blanc. Well, I also want to say, we'll post a picture of this book because it's beautiful. And the maps are beautiful too. So we'll post a picture of that on Instagram at The Long Finish. Can we talk a little bit about this wine and why it's so special, why it's tasting so special to you? Well, first of all, a really small producer and a really special place, a walled vineyard within a Grand Cru. As I said, there's only 21 walled vineyards in Champagne. It's separated from the rest and it's average 65-year-old vines. So it's just producing a kind of fruit that is really, really pure. And as I'm drinking this, yes, it's dry, but there's such a ripeness. Like it's so fruity. There's such a red apple, lemon curd, like rich fruitiness, this golden color. I wouldn't guess that this didn't have, that this was zero dosage. I would guess that there was maybe a little bit, but the fruit itself is so pretty and so ripe. It doesn't need that. I think that's really special. I think it's special that it's from 2010, that it has been on the lees for many years and then aged 
in bottle at the winery for years before release. I think that the bubbles are really fine. This is just really elegant, elegant champagne. And it's all Chardonnay, which also gives it that just like extra zippiness, that great acidity and that kind of laser beam focus. And when I talk about chalk, yeah, I get a lot of like minerality and that chalkiness. It is amazing to think that it's zero dosage, but it is, it does feel like it has some dosage and also feel like it's sometimes when you have zero dosage, there's like a piercing quality to it. This has like a nice roundness to it. Maybe that's the vintage aspect of it. I think it's just the ripeness of the, the fruit. Ripeness of the fruit. And it, yes, the vintage does add complexity. Anytime there's wine that has age on it, that adds depth and complexity to it, which helps. But I think a lot of it has to do with the ripeness of that fruit. And it doesn't feel like zero dosage to me either. I think that's what's so appealing. Zero dosage. So none of that little sugar, just house recipe to top it off at the end to complete the champagne. No, it doesn't have that. Lots of Psalms are really into that zero dosage, like super dry, super, you know, crazy, racy champagne. Ah, I'm not. Like the two of us like a little bit of dosage. We usually like our champagnes just with enough to make it feel complete and a little bit ripe. I would guess this had three or four grams. It feels complete. It feels whole because, yeah, that fruit is just ripe. How'd you come across this one? Well, I am always on the hunt for grower producers that are practicing grape farming. So in Champagne, you know, there's the history of the big houses that source their fruit from small farmers. But the grower movement, as we talked about on our last episode, is growing, always growing and has been growing. So this is a small grower producer practicing organic, practicing biodynamic, you know, discovered it because one of my favorite distributors, one of my favorite importers is bringing it in and said, oh, get a load of this, try this. And you also mentioned how rare that is to be organic and biodynamic in Champagne. Using those practices is rare. It is not common. It's hard. It's cold. There's a lot of history of using chemicals because it's so cold, because you're trying to get your grapes ripe, and because it's about style traditionally and not about the vineyard. But the whole point of this wine is clearly about the vineyard, right? It's this special place that was a garden and then became a vineyard and it's old vines and it's part of this house. Like the whole point is this 3.7 hectare walled area. So the fact that they're doing those practices to try to highlight the terroir itself is amazing. They're also HVE certified, high environmental value, which we've talked about before on the pod, but is another certifying thing in France that talks about being environmentally conscious as a whole for the winery. Well, this wine's fantastic. And I'm going to get into my questions I always ask you in a second, but I was thinking as we've been drinking champagne over the past couple of weeks, why do we drink champagne during this time of year? Was there a reason? Is there an origin? So I did a little research. Wow. Yes, I did, Look folks. You. I, you know what? A lot of times I just sit quietly by the side like Catherine espouse about wine, but tonight I'm taking over. I love it. Did a little works on the interweb to find an article uh, from Imbibe magazine uh, from 2019 by Wayne Curtis. Shout out to Wayne Curtis on why we drink champagne on New Year's Eve. He basically 
sites that goes back many, many years. Hard to really determine why Champagne is drunk during the holiday season. But he kind of takes a guess that starts with Julius Caesar, who revamped the calendar. You know, of course, the pagans celebrated the vernal equinox, which is like around the 21st of December. But Julius Caesar created two months to create this modern calendar that we now use, including January. So he says that, you know, you would celebrate the end of the year and start with January. January being named after the god Janus, which has two faces. So you could look forward and look back and sort of celebrate both moments. So I thought that was kind of cool. That is so cool. Yeah. So then he moves to more like more recent times, as in like the 19th century. And he talks about how in Europe, people started to drink a lot of things over the New Year's, and champagne became one of them. And not unlike other cocktails, vodka, Moscow mules, these things were created. Moscow mules were created because vodka companies need to push vodka, and ginger beer need to push ginger beer. Well, champagne people wanted to push champagne. So they would do a, like a tip to bars and places that would sell champagne. A little kickback, they would call it. But anyway, it became very popular in Europe and ultimately moved to New York. He cites a, a bar in 1852 that starts to pour champagne. 1881, we hear more and more about champagne. And then really um, in 1937, uh, a place called Martin's, uh, champagne kind of takes a hit just like everything else during Prohibition. But then it comes back. These companies try to inject it with kickbacks, et cetera, et cetera. And champagne suddenly becomes the thing to drink during New Year's Eve. So it's a great article. It's really fun. One thing I mentioned to you from the article was that champagne is an example of where a flaw becomes a feature. Right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah. The story behind that is of Pierre... Perignon, who was a monk at the in the abbey in Champagne in the 1600s, and they said, we have got to get these bubbles out of our wine. They just wanted to make a wine. They wanted to make a single fermentation, regular old wine, but it kept bubbling up because the wine, they would finish the wine, it would be cold, and then when the spring happened again, the wine would start bubbling under the cork were bubbling in the barrel. It would just bubble up. It wasn't a flaw. I mean, it was a flaw that he was trying to get, that he was tasked with getting rid of. He just wanted to make a still wine. But then they thought, ah, maybe this can be a thing. Maybe this could be a style of wine. Blah, 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 many years later. Now, there are many stories that are saying, oh, no, you know, earlier than... Dom Perignon, there was, yes, and Dom Perignon is named for this monk, Pierre Perignon. But many years later, we look back and we see, oh no, people are talking about sparkling wine with a second fermentation or method champenois, traditional method sparkling wine in England, actually, um, in the 1600s, maybe even before his time. So who knows if it was actually the monk Perignon who invented it but or or didn't or or sort of discovered it said this is a thing but he is the story behind it and also say that some people felt like the styles of champagne were used to mask the quality of the wines that that was I was a common belief back in the day absolutely because it is a style and it, it was a flaw so turning it from a flaw into a method, method champenoise, that took a couple hundreds of years to get that right. Yeah, what happens is that people fine-tuned it, plus there was a demand, royalty, like that's, you know, in the 
18th, 19th century, people that really had the money fell in love with it. And that kind of kept that alive. There's a lot of history also. I'm not a big fan of Veuve Clicquot as, you know, just because I see that yellow label everywhere and it's quite mass produced now. But there's wonderful story about the widow Clicquot and lots of big houses that have a part in the history of Champagne that are worth reading about. I would recommend this champagne book that I have right here. Hey, we're plugging it. Um, and I haven't, I know that there's actually uh, another book about the history of Vuv Clicquot that I'd like to read at some point, but I haven't. Well, this article talks about how, you know, in the 18th century, 19th century, New Year's Eve really was a thing. You could hear people shooting their guns into the air. And then they even mentioned that such a friendly time that in the White House, if if they if you were like appropriately dressed, they would just open their doors and you would walk in and they would give you something to drink. And sometimes it would be champagne or some other things. But you know, the New Year's thanks to Julius Caesar kind of created this calendar where it really became a thing to celebrate the end of one year and the start of another. So anyway, I'll put a link to the article. It's a really fun read. What are we eating with this bottle of champagne? Well, champagne is one of those things with that just about goes with everything, but I'll take it with oysters, french fries, salt and vinegar chips, mule frites, I mean seafood and salt. Even just, you know, if you're by yourself, I'd take a bowl of popcorn and champagne. I'd be perfectly happy. Just nuke a dog. <laughs> nuke a dog in the microwave. Hot dog and champagne. Yep. Where can we get this wine? And if not this wine, where can we get a vintage wine? And if not a, vin- or a vintage champagne? And if not a vintage champagne, where can we recommend people go find a great bottle of sparkling for New Year's Eve? You can get this wine certainly at Esther's and other small wine shops in your local wine shop. Maybe. Um, certainly in small wine shops in LA and New York and Chicago and other places that would carry a small producer like this. You can get vintage champagne at any good wine shop. They're going to have some vintage champagne, which is going to be expensive, but worth the money. It's worth it. 2012 is great, too, if you're seeing those. I'd also say get the wine now because we might see some inflation that's going to really make things more expensive next year. So get Uh, it now. I, I would buy everything you can now. Everything's going up. Inflation, like my prices, my wholesale prices every month are increasing. I would say be... Life's short. Buy the wine, people. Mm-hmm. Buy it. Buy it up. It's actually what I want to talk about. We'll talk about that in a future episode, maybe um, next month. In January, month. for yeah, sure. Talk we about gotta, that. Let's buy the wine. <laughs> buy the wine. By the way, I've been wanting to call this episode Champagne in the Membrane for weeks now because I want to make a t-shirt. Maybe next year we're going to make the push to finally getting some of these taglines into some merch. And I want Champagne in the Membrane to be a part of it because I just want to buy that shirt. All right. Now we get to the portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I'm going to go first. I'm just sort of waxing nostalgic on the year of 2021. Maybe we'll do this in our next episode, but hard not to be inspired by having a third kid this year. We added a third child to our family, which is amazing to believe. He's a humongous baby. We'll talk about this probably more too, but he's slowly not becoming a baby. Hard to believe that we had this child almost eight months ago. But despite the hardships of 2021, you look at his face and you say, you know what? 2021's been okay. My inspiration of the week surprised me. It's my online friend, RJ Ochoa. Love RJ. Talk about many things. 
Survivor. Talk about Dallas Cowboys, a team that we both share a love. And the past year on Twitter, I've watched him post chapter and verse of the Bible. He decided to read the Bible from beginning to end this year. And every day, he would post what chapters and verses he read. And I'm just, as a silent you know, witness to this, and I'm watching him through the course of the year, I'm like, he's not going to make this. Like, he's only in the Old Testament. I think he was in the Old Testament until like October. I'm like, he's not going to get there. And I think he's going to finish. I mean, I think he's on Revelations now and he's going to finish. He and I have not talked about this, but he's inspired me to read the Bible from cover to cover this year. Look, I have my own beliefs on religion, but I think the Bible is the most influential book of our life. And so I'm, I'm going to do the same thing. That is my goal this year. So let's fast forward to the end of 2022. Hopefully I have a conversation where I've read the Bible from cover to cover and just, I don't know, formulated my own thoughts about it. So it all starts from RJ Ochoa, just watching him every day, not commenting on what he's reading, but just showing the chapters and verses that he's read for the day. And I find that very inspiring and super cool. So uh, RJ, thank you for being inspiration this year and hopefully next year. I'll read a book. Let's just say that. So that's my inspiration for the week. Catherine, what do you have? Well, beyond a visit to Boulder, Colorado, and this fantastic book on champagne by Peter Liam, both two inspirations that I would have used, I have to say I cannot stop thinking about this book, Matrix by Lauren Groff. Holy moly. I live in Southern California, have a wine bar, beautiful family. The only thing I am thinking about is this 12th century Abbey. Holy moly, this book is good. (laughs) Her writing, Lauren Groff's writing is ridiculous. The story is amazing. I just can't even say anything else. Just go ahead and go get it and read it. And um, that's it. Shout out to Amy for sending me this ridiculously good book. And do yourself a favor. And Amy with another selection. It's great to have Catherine's Book Club back in the mix a couple in a few weeks and it's been a few months before that so can't think of a better way to end 2021 and the long finish episode 77 that's episode 77 great number episode 77 is in the books thank you to everyone for listening to the show we've asked many times we'll ask one more time to close out the year if you have a chance to rate review and subscribe to our show it would mean a lot to us it means a lot to our eight-month-old child he talks about it all the time he does. Just cries. Says, can we just have one more rating, one more review, one more subscription? So if you have a chance to do that, it would mean a lot to us. Uh, we will be back in 2022 with an episode, my favorite episode of the year, which is Catherine's predictions on the wine trends for 2022. Mm, so stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned for that. I have a couple ideas. But until then, please go out and buy yourself a bottle of sparkling. Maybe it's vintage. Hopefully you're splurging on yourself. You're treating yourself for surviving another year but if not buy something nice buy something that makes you happy get some champagne this is a time to celebrate existing living yes thriving so Catherine, where can they find you and the long finish on social media find us on instagram i'm at Catherine wild coker and the long finish is at the long finish find me on twitter at tug coker and on instagram at tug coker as well i'm the same <laughs> Champagne's feeling good. All right, folks, happy new year. Happy new year. We hope you have a great rest of your holiday. We'll see you in 22. Until then, have a great week. 
great time with family and friends. Have a great time by yourself, whatever it takes to survive and thrive. Until then, be healthy, be happy, and happy drinking. Ciao.